You are listening to a production of the Toe Network. This is Laser Knees number 96, Robot Dinosaur Baseball Bat, which will all make sense in a moment. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Dino Knight Sentai Ryu Soldier, episode 19, Tiramigo on the Attack, and episode 20, The Greatest Artist. Our writer for 19 was Yamaoka Junpei and was Takehiroya for episode 20. Uh, both episodes were directed by Kami Horuichi Kazuya. Who's doing some good work. Yeah, no. I actually thought for parts of these episodes that it might have been Sakamoto. Mm-hmm. Uh, with so- the way some of the action direction was. So, in other words, uh, Kami Horuichi Kazuya can just do all the things that... that... Sakamoto does, and we won't have to spend so much time being anxious about the weird times where Sakamoto's horny on main. Yeah. Uh, episode 19 also featured a familiar face. Uh, Misako-sensei was played by Taiki Yukari, who also played Takigawasawa back in Kamen Rider Build. You know, I thought she looked familiar. I'm glad to see Toei is making sure she still gets paid. Sometimes. A little. Kinda. Toei's not famous for how well they pay, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I feel like she also did an Ultraman thing recently. Oh yeah, good uh, for her. I'm not, 100, I'm not 100% on that, but she was posting some Ultraman stuff on her social media. Nice. So well, she giving... may have been in some episodes of Ultraman recently. Well, good for her. Honestly, like, she was... She just kind of shredded back in builds, so... Even though they, like, I always wanted them to give her more to do, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, let's let's talk about some, uh, these episodes, which I quite enjoyed, but as per usual, let's get the bad stuff out of the way first. Okay, so I don't necessarily have a problem with the conflict of episode 19, uh, which is Tiramigo and Melt not quite getting along. Mm. But somehow the execution of it feels slightly off. Uh, not in the way that the show usually bullies Melt, but just kind of in a way where it it doesn't quite feel established enough. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like, the, the beginning of the show sort of sets up Melt's interaction with the Dino Knights as him not totally understanding their sentience and seeing them more like non-living robots to be used as tools or kind of, at best, like, workhorses. Um, but we've kind of long since established that he knows better than that now, and I thought we had kind of established that he'd moved past that. But Tiramigo responds to him as if that situation hasn't changed at all. Melt is also very practical, which leads him to being very blunt, uh, such as him telling Tiramigo to help him carry the groceries, or to, like, give him a boost to clean the vents instead of asking, which I think is supposed to be what's causing Tiramigo to perceive him as cold and unfriendly, or that he's still seeing the Dino Knights as objects, but we never actually establish that as the reason. Tiramigo just says, I like everyone, but I don't like him, instead of expressing to us that Melto's way of interacting with him hurts his feelings. So when the conflict between them gets resolved, and it feels like they've supposedly learned to understand each other, which is cued by Tiramigo using his actual name, I'm not really sure, like, what what it is that caused them to understand each other. 
because it doesn't feel like anything actually changed. And then at the end, like, Melt hasn't learned to speak differently toward Tiramigo, and Tiramigo still doesn't really explain why the way Melt talks to him hurts his feelings, and everyone else is just kind of laughing it off, so I'm not sure if a lesson was actually learned at all. It doesn't take away from how much I enjoyed the episode, because I still enjoyed the episode a lot, but for an episode that is very much about exploring two characters who have a very complex relationship, and being about them finding common ground and learning to get along, it's kind of flimsy. It doesn't quite get there. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't. I, I thought it was weird, too. Because, I mean, look, I know my son, Tiramigo, who is my grown adult human son, uh, has definitely exhibited a difficulty with Melto that is kind of manifested in that recurring joke of getting his name wrong, but they don't quite get there. They don't explain it. They don't quite get the hook to it. They don't quite resolve it. It's There's a lot of not quite on the overall thematic level. Which, I guess that's okay, because it was still a really charming episode. <laughs> yeah, no, like, it, again, it's, it's not by any means a deal breaker, but it's just, it's such a weird thing where it's the foundation of the episode, <laughs> but they don't actually do anything. Yeah, I feel like maybe there's a lot of, like, really subtle stuff that maybe if we spoke Japanese or were from Japan, like, maybe you'd catch that, but I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> like, it That just seems like it's that kind of, of really fiddly level thing. Yeah. So I super wish they'd stop playing that, like, soap opera music every time Kanalo is in, within ten feet of a woman. I mean, at least this time they just establish out of the gate that she's married and don't do, like, a pratfall about it and just, like, he sees the ring and we get back to the point of the episode. But honestly, we could have just skipped all that and, you know, this lady runs out screaming and he's like, oh no, what's wrong? Hey, someone is in trouble. Maybe I should try and view them as a person instead of about my mission. I, yeah, I just, I wish we would have not done that, but I always wish that with Conalo. It's it's a weird thing that they keep doing, and I wish they would just ease up on it. Yeah. Um, I'm also a little bummed that the reason that Conalo got up in that businessman's face is because he littered, and not because he was scaring the dang frightened, trapped children. <laughs> Like, I know we've established this eco-warrior thing as a facet of Kanalo, but I, I don't know why, to, or like to what end. It doesn't add anything to anything. And it seems like, hey, don't flip out on these already terrified children might have been a better response to the exact same end. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't matter what he's angry about, and him getting angry about the dude scaring the children just makes more sense. Yeah, especially since he has a little sister of his own. Like, he knows what, I'm sure he knows what happens when aggro adults freak out little kids. Because she's like 120-something, but, like, it's still his little sister, and I'm sure adults still freak her out sometimes. 
Yeah, I mean, like, by their scale, she's still, like, 12. Yeah. And and honestly, I do kind of, I kind of wish that if the eco-warrior thing was going to be there, they'd actually go a little harder on it, where on top of, like, he's trying to find a bride, and he keeps trying to find a bride inside an activist space, where he's, like, taking his lightning gun to massive corporations that are polluting, and he's trying to turn that into it, and then everyone hates him because, hey man, you're just joining this activist group to to meet chicks? What the hell? Like, I just, I wish his whole eco-warrior thing, like, meant anything. That it had any bearing on anything at all. Because it doesn't mean anything, and they only bring it up when, like, they, like, it doesn't mean anything. They just bring it up sometimes. It's very weird. Yeah, it it really is. So this is a very minor thing, and maybe the answer to it is it's because they're in, like, an evil pocket dimension, so this just isn't possible. But how, like, as the ceiling is falling and they're trying to, like, not die, why does Asuna not just, like, punch a hole through the ceiling and start flinging people through it? I mean, like, I really liked the resolution of Bamba using the soft soul to, like, prevent them from being crushed. That was pretty good. And that she used her strength to, like, dive in front of the falling desks and hold them up to protect the kids. But also, like, Asuna's strong. Yeah, it it's kind of her thing. I mean, like, look, again, I think soft soul was a pretty fun solution. I... I enjoyed that. But at the same time, I would be totally here for Asuna punching a hole in the side of the 8th level conjuration spell, Demiplane, proving that she is stronger than the magic of a level 15 wizard. I just think that would be something we all need to see. And even if, like, look, then they could do the thing where she punches, and on the other side, oh no, there's just the void. It's like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're not getting out that way. But it would still involve her punching a hole in a demiplane, and that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Like, it just, it feels weird that her response was never, I'm gonna break it. Yeah, yeah. And also that, like, when the desks fell on her, she's like, oh, that hurts. I'm like, guys, she she punches human beings into mountains. <laughs> I mean, like, there's a degree of that that I can understand because, like, even with that, if you're getting, like, a chair leg jammed into your spine... Yeah, true. That's gonna be uncomfortable. Yeah, but... Like, I just... I, I'm pretty sure even the buffest dude is gonna get a concussion if he's hit in the back of the head with a baseball. That's true. That's true. I just... I just... I, I want to see her just wreck more stuff. Anyway, just... I've been thinking a lot about my D&D game lately because i'm i'm back in one of the times where i'm playing a lot more frequently so you you, you get used to thinking about demi planes because look demi plane is a six spell you just you you open up a door to like a 30 by 30 room and you can just put someone in it and close the door and the next time you cast the spell you can connect that same 30 by 30 pocket dimension room or you can never connect to it again. 
And that's the most horrific way to take care of a problem. Someday I want to get a character up that high level so I can just drop the villain into a demiplane and then just close the door. All right, that's solved. What do you mean? Surely he's going to break out with interdimensional magic. Maybe. But if he doesn't, problem solved. Look, I'm just saying, uh, the monster, like, their evil plan this time was a very good evil plan. Also, I want to see Austin to punch her way out of an 8th level conjuration spell. I am a little confused as to why taking the Minosaur out to the sports field, which is still on school grounds, means Melt could fight her freely and was not bound by the rules of the school. But the businessman, who was outside of the school gates, got thrown in detention for littering. Huh. Is that it? Hmm. I, you know, I confess I'd not even thought about that. But, like, I want to be like, oh, well, it's, it's against the rules to litter everywhere, but, I mean, it is literally against, like, getting into fights is a crime. <laughs> they, it's, it's, it's against the rules, not even the law, just the rules of society to get in a fight. Unless you're in, like, a pro-wrestling universe where you can just settle things in the ring and the cops don't show up because, like, it was settled in the ring, so you don't have to... Anyway, um, yeah, it's a good call. That is weird. Yeah, it, it was just very strange. I mean, he was in front of the school, but he was outside the school gates, so the school rules would not apply to him. So why was he thrown in detention inside the school? Yeah, I, mm, it's a very good question. But, but I've apparently got no problems with episode 20. Yeah, let's I just move think on to good anything. things. Yeah, let's, let's. Uh, Tiramigo did a baseball, and it was the cutest. That's very true. Uh, but just, in, in all seriousness, Tiramigo was super sweet in this episode. I love that he's just out there in the city, doing his thing, living his life, being a part of the community... And everyone sees him and is just like, hey, Tiramigo, how's it going? What are you up to? Like, he's just friends with everyone. Not even just kids. And I love that he goes to hang out with the kids and sees them as, like, the great potential future and wants them to be happy. But, like, just grown adults walking past him on the street. Like, oh, hey, Tiramigo, how's it going? And he's like, oh, hey, how's the family? Like, I love it. Yeah, like, look, I I want more episodes that just start with, hey, so one day Tiramigo was out just doing his thing, and then, because it's amazing, and I'm just so very, very proud of my son, and never more so than in this episode, because, you know, he's he's just, he's doing his best, getting to know the people in his community, generally having the back of the people he meets, except for, like, that one guy he's a jerk to for arbitrary reasons. Which, you know, like, I, I'm i a capricious soul myself, so I actually kind of get that. I don't necessarily approve of it, but, you know, I get it. Like, I'm just glad this show is like, no, the Dino Knights don't just disappear into the void and stop existing until the robot fights. They're here, and we can't hide them, and I guess people are just like, well, 
They keep saving us, so I guess they're cool. And if this one sometimes gets small and wants to play baseball with us, sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. And I just, I like just seeing him walk around town helping people. Just being nice. Also, it seemed very of note to me that in one of those scenes where he's just, you know, chilling, walking around, he, he's on that that pathway on, like, the raised hill or whatever that was commonly seen in Forza. And I was yes. like, that is, that's the friendship hill. That is the hill where everyone is friends. I love this hill. I want to find that hill and just chill out on it. But, like, yeah, Tiramigo just rolls on Friendship Hill, and uh, I'm just, I'm very proud of him. And on a related note, I just want to say, like, the person or persons, because I don't, it seems like it's, like, there's just one person doing the legs, clearly. But I'm not sure if there's a, if there's an extra puppeteer working the mouth, or if that's just, like, one person who's just bent over the entire time they're in there, and just, like, reaching their arms through and doing the the mouth stuff but um like they deserve some kind of award because frequently i would have to just i would forget that oh no that's not an actual like robot dinosaur that i could like meet and hang out with personally that's just that's a person that's that is a person or a group of people in there operating that thing bent over the entire time, which, whew, that's that sucks. That's tough work. That's yeah. you know that that's some good core exercise, but still. Yeah, no, get them a daytime Emmy, uh, because yeah. man, like I have to imagine we're not gonna see too many episodes where Tiramigo's a main character for that reason. True, but... which is a shame. Mm. But, like, also, there's a reason that we got Kiva Emperor so early in Kiva. Yep. Because, <laughs> boy, that's a heavy suit. I just, ah, uh, I just really like Tiramigo. I just, I want, I just want to keep seeing bits where Tiramigo's just, just chilling. Out there, hanging out, saying hi to people, being beloved by the city, because I would definitely just love to be able to walk down the street and like oh hey it's that robot dinosaur who shrank down or stopped being large i don't know which would make more sense honestly but hey it's a robot dinosaur and he just wants to hang out what up buddy can i get you anything no cool have fun and just go about my business I also deeply respect Ui's dad getting mad about everyone, like, making a mess and not following, like, the one big rule they all agreed to in response to letting three total strangers live in his house. And then being like, no, go outside, I'm gonna fix this, come back when you're ready to follow the rules. And, like... Not only do I respect that, it's also just a great setup for this episode's theme of rules are important, but you also need to, like, establish why they're important. Yeah. Yeah, which... If you just say, like, oh, well, you can't do this, that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, that's... But if it's like, hey, keep the house clean so you're not, like, messing up my work and we're all comfortable, that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. 
and honestly, it's it's just such an amazing thing for a kid's show to tackle. And it's not a thing you see a lot of. Because on top of everything else, it's also basically setting kids up for, okay, but you have to think critically about things. Or at least ask questions of the people in charge, which, look, that's a pretty intense thing to lay down on some kids, because that's not, that's not a lesson stuff I watched as a youth ever really got to. The closest would be like, yeah, the rules are there for your protection, so obey them. Which, I mean, it's almost kind of a little sort of close to that, but, like, this is actively encouraging kids to have an understanding of why the rules are there, and that's amazing to me. Yeah, it's like, okay, like, oh, the rule is for your protection. Okay, but how is it protecting me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, why why does it matter? Like. It's like actively encouraging kids to be like, hey, I don't understand this rule. Explain to me why we have it. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a thing that people should do. Why is this a rule? Why is this wrong? It's ah. But then again, like you're saying, it on top of everything else, they also tie it back to why people should keep their environments at the very least decluttered, if not fully cleaned, which that's a thing you should do. While at the same time giving some understanding to the fact that, like, look, when it's really hot, you, it's at least understandable that you don't want to do it, even if you still should, even if you still need to. But we, we at least understand that, hey, even this, even your good heroes that you should emulate, eh, they don't always want to do their, they don't always want to do their chores, especially when it's hot. Which, I get that, you know. I guess I'm glad we've established that. The, like, Minosaur slime at least doesn't taste bad. Like, sure, Curion's gonna sap your life force until you die, but at least she's gonna, like, make that last bit kinda pleasant. Yeah. True, I mean, Curion may be a monster in the Sentai taxonomy. You know, the sense where Curion is both not human and evil. Because you can be not human and not be a monster on Sentai. You have to be evil, but... So, like, in the taxonomical sense, yes, she is a monster, but she's not a monster. So you get you get one last bit of sweetness before you start withering up into nothing. Which is, you know, a moderate bit of mercy. Though, I have to say, it does make me hope that one day she gets an upgrade and turns into a hallucinatory mushroom, so she can deliver the sweet release of delirium in the run-up to the sweet release of death, because, like, she's a mad supervillain like that, and I just, I think that'd be cool. Not to mention... Honestly, that would be great material for her YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly! Man, we, I just, again, all I really want is for there to be net, net movies of this show, and for them just to be... Crayon's YouTube channel where she just talks about how every every human is stupid and everything we've ever built is is just the dumbest way of doing everything. You guys build buildings? Why don't you just grow them out of their ground? Uh, we don't know how to do that. Yeah, just proves that you're stupid. And then she'd like just slap someone. She'd be... I want her to have a prank channel 
but in that way that where a lot of really awful YouTube people think that being randomly violent or rude is a prank. Because I think Korean would be amazing at it. Oh, yeah. And it'd be... Just... You know, when humans do it to each other, it's awful. But for some reason, when our, our beloved slime mushroom girl does it, it'd be hilarious. But mostly because, I mean, she's a monster. Yeah, like, we know she's evil. Like, she thinks it's funny because she enjoys, like, the pain of others. Again, our, like, I feel like our operating assumption is the Druidon just popped by her planet. Hey, which one of you wants to just wreck a bunch of stuff? And Korean is just, like, waving her hand. Yo, right here. <laughs> what up? Me. <laughs> I do. All the other slime mushrooms are like, no, why would we want to do that? That's terrible. Yo, right here. Koreon, what the hell? Um, I'm really tired of all of you, and I've been wanting to burn you down, but we're all so hard to burn. Because we're so slimy. They're going to let me burn something, let's go. So, like, you know, she just does that to everyone, it's fine. And it's not fine, but it'd make for hilarious YouTube hashtag content. I love the bit of Kanalo just, like, floating around in the school's pool. Like, yeah, clearly he, his excuse is like, oh, I need to talk to my fish dad. But he could just, like, put his hand in a water fountain for that. Dude wants to cool off. Yeah, and look, who can blame him? When it's hot, sometimes you just want to not feel so hot. Especially since dude doesn't ever seem to lose the coat. I mean, look, it does look lightweight and breathable, but come on. <laughs> That's That thing is heavy, and it's long, and that traps a lot of heat. Anyway. At least they let him dress in white. Yeah, true. Actually, apparently, uh, the one of the best ways to beat the heat is if you wear something gauzy and, like, just really thin and black and keep moving. At least when it comes to the sun, because all of the, the, all of the light energy gets caught on the, the lightweight black material, and when you move, because it's so thin, there's not a lot of place for it to store, and it just, like, wafts off you. That makes sense. Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's, like, unsurprisingly, it's a thing a lot of, a lot of folks in, uh, Middle Eastern countries have, have really figured out, <laughs> because you'd have to. Um, also, un, un, back to the, the show, um, for all the genesis of it is a bit fuzzy, I like that by the end of the episode, Tiramigo and Melto are back to fighting. Like, I I don't exactly like the fighting itself, but I don't know. There's something in the sitcom reset of it where after they have their moment of like, hey, all right, Melto, you're all right, dude. And then they just, they get right back to it because... Whatever lesson needed to be learned by both parties was not entirely learned. And look, I don't adore Melto getting hated on. But for some reason, it feels very capricious and and silly and kind of one of those I just don't like your face, buddy, sort of reactions on the part of Tiramigo. And I can forgive that. And and I think a lot of that, I just, I know that this should be something f 
for the the bad stuff, but honestly, it's just that they've made Tiramigo so incredibly charming that I can't hate him, even when he's being kind of a tool. I just wish that it had evolved into more of like a playful bickering instead of this sort of nebulous inability to relate to one another. Like, it would have been really sweet if they'd found their common ground and, you know, had this this big resolution after talking about, like, hey, the way you talk to me hurts my feelings. Oh, I didn't realize that. I, I, this is just the way I think, but I will try to relate to it. Okay, cool. I'll try and be patient with you. And then they just sort of had this kind of back and forth bickering as an expression of how they care about each other. Like, that would have, that would have been nice. Instead, it's all kind of very fuzzy. Yeah. I mean, and it's especially frustrating because Melto gets so much crap tossed his way. And it would be, I would be very happy to see my son play a little better with the other kids. Or at least we could lead up to an episode or have this have been an episode about how Tiramigo is, is kind of a jerk to Melto because, like, oh, no, it's not that you talk to me like I'm a thing because I kind of get that that's just how you are. It's just I feel like you're very intelligent and I'm intimidated by that, especially because I just learned this language, even though, like, honestly, Tiramigo learned the language at lightning speed and wouldn't have to feel too terribly dumb because if i learned to speak japanese in what like three months i'd be feeling pretty good about myself yeah um i like i imagine it's gonna end up being retconned into connecting melto having blue hair uh, with some sort of ancient grudge or something because we've we have talked about how there are implications that melto's blue hair is some sort of a thing. But I kind of hope I'm wrong there, because that would mean that I'd have to put Tiramigo in timeout until he learns not to make bigoted assumptions about people. And I don't want to have to do that, because I want my son to be better than that. Yes. But also... I mean, his his whole thing, like, even Triken in, like, the first couple of episodes, like, even that was weird, because... Melt didn't really say anything to him. He's just like, oh, this is a dino knight? And Triken's like, oh, you you don't see me as a living thing. I'm like, what? Yeah. They just... A lot of the stuff around Melto is just... It's weird, and I wish they were better at making it happen. Yeah. Just. I am glad that we finally got to see Toa hanging out with that girl who fosters the puppies again. Yeah, heck yeah. Like, it, it wasn't much, and I assume that we didn't, like, get a close look at her because they couldn't get the same actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I assume it's supposed to be the same girl since she's got more dogs. Um, but, you know, it's enough to remind that Toa's got his own stuff going on and that he's got this non-plot-related downtime where he's got friends outside of the core cast of the show. Like, that's neat, and makes the world feel big and real and like other people exist in it. Yeah, I always, I always appreciate that. And you know, I think it's also extra fun because last time we were just saying how much we were hoping for some Toa focus. And now we got it. And also I'm just, I'm very happy for that girl having her puppies. 
I'm, I'm glad to see that one of those puppies turning into a body horror turducken has not even stalled her quest to take care of those poor doggos. Uh, also, public service announcement, spay or neuter your pets, folks. It's the responsible thing to do. I also love that, like, as he's having this conversation and the Druidans show up and all that, like, Bamba just appears and Toa's like, wait, you're, where, you were here this whole time? Like, just kind of subtly, again, reminding us that Bamba's just hanging out nearby because he really doesn't know how to function, like, without Toa right there. So he was just sort of off stage left in case he was needed, which he was, fair enough. But he's just like, okay, you're gonna talk to your friend and I'm gonna stand over here. Just because I don't know what else to do. Yeah, he's, again, he's not great at the whole being a people thing. Or, okay, being a little more charitable. Perhaps a part of him is torn between letting his little brother have this good, good friendship, but also, like, pulling the kid up short about the whole, like, hey, look, don't get too attached in whatever form that would take, be it dating or friendship. Especially not before you've hit full physical maturation, because, like, you will outlive her if you don't get murdered to death by a Minosaur and or some Druidons. Which, given given what we know about his damage, I maybe that's what he's doing? trying Just trying to be a cooler on that? Because, like, look, he does know a thing or two about it. Because, again, canonically speaking, Bamba gets down. Yeah, like, I feel like... Toa was definitely aware of his beach town girlfriend, mm -hmm. so I feel like that's a talk they had to have had at some point. Yeah, definitely. But still, just... Hey man, maybe maybe ease off anyway, because... Like, let, let the kid make his own mistakes and find some stuff out. It's just also depressing, because... Now we get into, into Highlander territory, and that's a shame. Yeah. That we do finally have confirmation of Curry on channel. Yes! And I love that, like, she has a clickbait video title. Like, she picked up on how this YouTube thing works very quickly. I'm, like, she is, she is not my daughter, but I'm still very proud of her. Again, I just, I just want her to have a, a video series just called Humans Suck, the ultimate callout. Part one of Infinity, because y'all never stop sucking. Just, just petty things like that. She's, she really is just the perfect Sentai, low-level villain. Definitely, you know, a step above the mooks, but not a general. She's just, she's just there being awful, and it's great. I also adore that Weisel was the first one thrown into detention and immediately had to disguise himself. Yeah, like, because otherwise he, everyone would know he, he fell in his own trap. Yeah, and like, it, I didn't even notice that he hadn't really been around in the episode. Yeah, me either. But then, like, he shows, like, he, he gets out and, you know, breaks the disguise. I'm like, oh, right. You haven't been here. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, you got you got in it. You stepped in it, my dude. Yeah, and then like, they... that's it was funny. Yeah. It was really funny. When they did the flashback, it was it was the best moment because I was I did a literal lol. I 
laughed out loud because it was just it was such a good bit but yeah i think that brings us into episode 20 yeah unless there's any yeah. other bits that come to mind uh, no, uh, but setting up 20 as this conflict between Toa and Melt, kind of as a way for Toa to address kind of some of his own personal baggage, was really interesting, because it's not an episode that directly explores the relationship between Toa and Melt. They actually don't interact a lot beyond the first couple of minutes, but it's about Melto being this catalyst for Toa having to take a look at a different perspective for the first time in his life and appreciate that being part of a team means having someone to cover for his weaknesses and that he has to cover other people's weaknesses. Yeah, and it's it's just such a better perspective for things compared to uh, a group is only as strong as its weakest link or, or whatever. And also, hey, it's nice to see a character processing that how you come up affects how you turn out and how that's maybe a thing to talk about so that everyone can kind of understand themselves and the world around them a little better. It's it's just really nice. Yeah, and a thing that I thought was really sweet in both of these episodes um, is how quickly and sympathetically Toa responds to scared children. Like, Toa is in his own right a scared child. So I appreciate how quickly he will see a child that is frightened by a Duridon situation. And we see in his face, he's like, he relates to that fear. He has to, like, internalize it for a second. And then immediately steps up to try to comfort them. And in both episodes, he uses this gesture of kind of, like, poking them in the forehead which we see in 20 is a gesture that Bamba makes when trying to cheer him up. Which, like, that is so cute. It's it's probably not honestly that great a thing, at least from where I'm coming from, because if, if, if at that age someone had, like, poked me in the forehead, I'd think they were messing with me or trying to, like, freak me out. Yeah, but, like, it is normally kind of a mocking gesture. Yeah, but as a thing Toa and Bamba might do, and then that Toa might mistake as a thing that everyone does, or maybe they do in, in where he's from, I don't know. But, yeah, like, putting it in that context of, oh no, this is how my brother helps me, like, calm down when I'm afraid, and this is a joke we do. And again, maybe not everyone, that, which, I mean, this isn't really feeding into, hey, you have to see the world from a different perspective, because the way you see things is not how things are. But still, I think that's just a fun little addition, because, yeah, this thing that I definitely read as aggressive is something that he sees as calming, and that's an interesting thing. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it's very sweet how much he wants to make children not afraid. And for all that Toa and Bamba have internalized some pretty toxic stuff in having to basically raise themselves out in the wilderness... And how they're still kind of working that out of their system slowly but surely as they process their trauma. They've got this capacity to show really genuine kindness toward people. And Toa especially, but both of them, are working really hard on figuring out how to extend that to other people. Like, especially in 20, 
when Toa is kind of at this, he's at his breaking point and he's reached this point of complete hopelessness where he sees no way to get to success and then again sees that kid all alone helplessly calling for his big brother, which is a situation he has definitely been in at some point in his oh, 100%. life. And, you know, he, he wishes that at this moment he had this luxury to sit and cry until his brother comes and gets him, but he can't. He he has to go be the one doing the saving because he's not helpless at this point in his life. And even if he's afraid, there are people who are truly helpless and he's got to be the one to fight for them. That's his job. Yep, and look, if that ain't Super Sentai in a nutshell, I don't know what is. It's It's just so good. I also thought it was super cute how Toa was, like, upset over Melto being stuck up because Toa has never had to truly accept constructive criticism in his life. And, like, you can see on Bamba's face that he's half a second from trying to give some, like, heartfelt big brother advice about, like, hey, like, I he's trying to help you you do kind of rely on your speed too much. Because, like, Bamba's the one who seems to understand Melt the most. Mm. So he's he's very... You see him being very close to trying to mediate that situation before the plot kind of throws itself in the way. And I wish we could have seen Bamba fumble a bit with trying to have a heart-to-heart with his little brother on this issue. Just especially since... Again, Melt has this communication problem where he's so practical that he doesn't really have tact. And Bonba being the way he is seems to be the only one who actually understands the way Melt communicates. Yeah, I, I wish we could get that scene, and I hope that we have a chance to get it later on, because it, it's a scene I want to see. But uh, just related to that, though, I do want to throw out that I love that our two expert sword guys are also the ones the least good at communicating on a quote-unquote normal level. It it should make me worry for either of them that, like, oh no, they're both kind of in each other's story niche, but somehow they can both do the awkward sword guy thing but they can do it completely differently, which from a writing and acting angle feels like it should be some kind of a challenge, but it's clearly not. They're both completely different characters, despite having kind of the same character core, and I just think that's really impressive. It is, and I I really hope we get to see an episode of the two of them together, because they actually have kind of a surprising amount of chemistry when they do get to interact. Mm. And I'd I'd like to see them just kind of figure out, like, being in a situation where, you know, kind of how Melt and Tiramigo were cordoned off from everyone, and being like, neither of us know how to interact with people, but since we're both so bad at it, we're kind of good at interacting with each other, so we can solve this problem together. That'd be amazing. Also, did you guys know that magic paper or other kind of 
art supply that brings what you draw to life is just a big old narrative weakness of mine. That's just a thing that I love every time it happens. I was I was not aware of that. Um, it's I love the way it was done in this episode. Like it provided such a cool way to build on the conflict that was created for Toa. Because it was something that he couldn't outright fight. It wasn't something he could outrun. Like, it was just... I love that it was in this episode and that it was in a Toa episode. Like, it was just so good and I really loved it. Yeah, same. Same. And I just I just want to throw out, um, I can totally dig on the paper that brings what you draw to life as a thing. Because... Very much the, it's kind of the visual artistic version of my own love of, like, meta text or papers where what you write in it happens, which really makes me surprised for the Uncommon Cast listeners how little Hat Waz in Zeo works for me. That's because Zeo is not good at writing itself. No. No, not in... It's not, it's not very good at telling its story. Yeah, Because no. nothing matters. Yeah. Nothing has any effect on any other element of the plot. Yeah, no. At at time of recording, I've I've just watched uh episode forty seven and like things are getting well it's the same um, thing we keep observing. Good moment to moment, but boy, just in the larger telling the story sense. Uh anyway, let's let's keep on the show that is good, because this is the good stuff section. Yeah, um, I adore that even though Bonba, like, goes up and tries to very nicely ask to see the sketchbook that the little brother is carrying, like, he is very clearly trying to do this in the kindest way he can, but his presence as a being that exists is just so dang intimidating that he still seems threatening. Yeah. Which, and, like, Toa has to step in and be like, hey, I got this. Yeah. Look, I have to say, I, I've never related more to anything in my life. Because, look, when you're not great at that whole human thing, simple things get hard enough. But, like, in my case, I have I have been told resting murder face, where I just I just look incredibly aggro all the time. If I'm not, you know, if I'm not paying attention. But then you just imagine someone who has that, like Bamba does. But also he's like seven feet tall and just super intense looking. And also, like, let's be real, intimidatingly attractive. Like, he's trying his best, bless him, but the world is hard for him sometimes. And it's very hard to get me on board with, like... Ah, yes, the world is extra challenging for this man because he is so attractive. But in the way he is attractive, because he also has that, like, resting murder face, I get it. Like, I, I feel for him. Also, just, again, he is incredibly attractive. Like, you wouldn't think someone who's working so hard to play I am not good at being a person would be like, the most magnetic character on screen at any given time, and yet. Hey, guy, uh, dear listener, um, 
I'm really sorry if you don't like when I just mentioned that he is a very handsome man. I'm afraid you're just gonna have to get used to it at this point. <laughs> yeah, look, we both have a huge crush on Bamba. Yeah. I, so. I'm as, like, I confess, I am surprised, but it's not going anywhere. <laughs> like, they're gonna, he's gonna have to really, like, they're gonna have to really mess him up in order to, to make this stop. I also love that his first answer to needing to find anything that's not in his immediate area is, I'm gonna sniff it out like a dog. <laughs> like, he's he's used the vision ones, like, once or twice, but it seems like his go-to is, like, the smell one. Which, like, look, that's cool. Like, I don't know, maybe this is why Toa likes dogs so much. Y yeah? That tracks. That really- uh, okay, that's perhaps the wrong word, but- that that makes a lot of sense. Like it's just like oh, they they run around and smell things and can be kind of intimidating, but are adorable. Like my brother, I like dogs. Yeah, like I. <laughs> they follow you around. They just sort of like hang out off to the side when they're not like, you know, doing their dog thing. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm not even a dog person. I don't like. It's, I don't hate them, but I, you know, I just generally prefer cats. But no, I'm like Bamba, just a big old like loyal pit bull of a guy. I also love the caricature artist and how absolutely done with Kanalo she is the instant we first see her face. Like, I wish this wasn't such a constant thing with Kanalo, but like. When she shuts him down, is like, oh, look, looking at you is my job. Stop moving. Shut up. You're paying me for this. Yep. Just stop talking. Because, look, I could forgive his whole, like, I must find a wife thing if every time he just kept getting actively shut down instead of, like, a lot of the more passively finding out thing. Because, like, look, I'm not, you know, I understand that outright flatly rejecting dudes can be a very dangerous thing for a lot of ladies especially like you know just in the world because dudes are uh the worst kind of basically not even kind of just but anyway i just i would like to see him just get rejected more often all the same because um just not even because she quote end quote belongs to some other dude but she's just rejecting him because, like, no, I'm not interested. And also, like, she is a freaking professional trying to ply her trade, and you're just out there making her life more complicated, Conalo. What the heck? Cut it out. Like, it, it's the reason why Otoya works, because Megumi is constantly doing exactly this. And yeah. is just being like, Otoya, shut up. No one cares, Otoya. Yuri, Yuri not Megumi. Um... But Yuri's just like, Otoya, no one cares. Like, and if it was just that more often, I think it would be a little more bearable. Yeah. And I, I hope it becomes that, because it's much better. Also, maybe then we could get to an arc where Kanalo, like, realizes that he's being a big old Otoya. And stops. Because, um, also, don't be an Otoya, kids. Yeah, it's, you, not, be a it's not a good look. 
Well, maybe you don't want to be a Wataru, but if you can only be one, be Wataru, not a Toya. Yeah, I mean, look, I've managed pretty well. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, also, we finally have Geysorg again. Yes. And I say that, like, not sarcastically. Uh, it's just, God, the second he shows up, that scene is incredible. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Like, I, I love that we, like, shift into shaky cam, and they, like, ramp up the exposure of the shot. So it, it's, like, so much brighter. Like, everything feels so unstable and surreal and off-balance. We're, like, you you visually take in how Toa is feeling mm. in this situation. Like, the actual fight sequence between them is great, but that lead-up is, like, on another level. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you there, because it, it does give you that unsettling sense of otherness, of unreality. Just, it's on top of putting you into Toa's mindset, because fighting guys orc has got to be incredibly scary for him, it also lets us, the audience, know that Geysorg's presence is a threat to reality as our heroes understand it. And that's amazing. He, like, he has become, um, like, a Lovecraft monster. Like, to look upon him is to just feel your reality bleeding away. It's wonderful. I also love that shot right before we, like, go to commercial... And by that I mean shift to the fight scene. Because um, there was definitely a commercial in there. But, uh, of, like, we're f we foreshadow guys are dropping the advice that Bamba had passed to Toa. And there's just this shot of the, like, dinosaur face on the dark Ryu soul sword that he has. And it just, it, it was such a good shot. Yeah. And, like, just in case the re-soldier motifs on the suit didn't clue you in. Yeah, hey, also he's got the same sword as you. It's just, he definitely has a, a connection to the re-soldiers, and I'm so excited to find out what it is. Yeah, it's, like, something about the way that shot of the sword was in particular made it feel like he's directly tied to the re-soldiers we have, or at least directly to Toa and Bamba mm. instead of like, the Ryu Soul tribe as a whole, or just the concept of the Ryu soldiers. Like, I'm not sure what it is, but something about that shot as he's, like, saying the thing that Bamba has said to Toa made it feel much more personal. Mm. I, I think there's definitely some, some legs to that theory. And look, while the rest of us were learning to be people, our boys did study the Blade. So, yeah. I... I, I really hope that he's connected directly to Bamba and Toa, because I kind of want them to have a whole arc just to themselves. Yeah, like, on that, I I love the way they've been dropping the puzzle pieces for Geysorg. Because seven episodes ago, we had him first appear and learn that someone from 300 years ago knows Geysorg, and also knows Bamba, and also knows their master. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, we have Bamba asserting that he believes their master is still alive, and now we get that Geysorg knows Bamba and Toa very well, even though they don't know him, 
Though Bamba seems to know Geysorg as a name or a concept. And I think the implication that they're building towards is that Geysorg is currently housing Bamba and Toa's master, and that's gonna be a situation they're gonna have to deal with. Oh, I look forward to it. Uh, you know, kind of maybe in that Joe way. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope it doesn't take another six episodes to get there. But honestly, if it did take another six episodes and we, like, started right in on that, that actually wouldn't be terrible. We wouldn't be all that far in. Um, though I, I doubt, given that it seems like within the next episode we're getting kind of a big plot drop, yeah. um, that we saw in episode one was something very heavily connected to Toa and Bamba. Um, and I think a big part of so I think it may be coming quickly that we're going to start addressing this. I think a big part of why it took us six episodes to get there is because three of those episodes were de devoted to introducing Conalo to the story. Yeah. But even when within that time, four episodes ago, we dropped the information that Bamba's very likely got some Siryu soul tribe in him and that may well also fold into this conflict. Yeah. Meaning that, you know, every two or three episodes we're getting basically some info on this. So we've been getting a good rate of them putting these pieces into place while also working on other characters in between. And, like, I'm kind of hoping Geyserg is the big mid-show boss battle. Maybe, you know, falling sometime between episodes 25 and like 33 and that he'll start showing up with an exponentially greater frequency as we move towards solving that problem I, look i'd be here for it especially since i can't help but feel that on top of that being a good story beat for that from a toy marketing place that's also about the time we'll th where they'll want to drop the next major upgrade for the robots and that you know like you know, make Geysorg big, and then we need a robot upgrade. So that makes sense. And if, yeah, I, I... Honestly, I kind of feel like what they could do is, if you don't make Geysorg big, put Geysorg inside Geysorg's Dino Knight. Yeah. And then that Dino Knight, like, is the new leader of the Dino Knights. Well, not the leader, but, like... Sort of... But he's the upgrade. Yeah, exactly. Like, we beat him up and he becomes the upgrade. Yeah, we beat him up, he becomes the upgrade, he, like, joins up with Tiramigo or something. I don't know. Also, um, since we're listing things that were really cool in that scene, um, I, I just want to throw out that this is the episode where I realized how good the sound effect design for Geysorg's footsteps is. Because it, it just... It made me realize that, uh, like Common Rider Black's Shadow Moon, like there is a heralding of unreality and power just in the way they have his footsteps go. Like there's a feeling that him approaching overpowers the rest of the world. And again, while we'll see how well they pay that off, it's it's just not a thing I realized I really dug on in the presentation of villain until now just whatever kind of threat they turn him into be it physical or emotional he's just so 
big that even his footsteps echo throughout the story, and that's just, I'm really here for it. God, yeah. I also love that Weisel and, like, Big Weisel, like, I love them, and yes. just the two of them being like, hey, you're great! Hey, you're great! Yeah. Yeah, it was, honestly, Weisel is the worst, but I do appreciate that he's very self-confident in the way he is the worst. Because, like, look, a lot of people, I feel, would have a bit more of an ego difficulty about someone else being literally and actually them. But he can just see another him, and he's totally down with it. And I, I feel like... I don't know. I feel like if suddenly there was a second me, I would be very like, oh wait, is this guy... It, it wouldn't be, hey, here's another guy I can relate to, and, like, we're gonna hang out in the same friend group. It'd be, hey, this guy is going to replace me in all of my friend groups. I better murder him. And it won't be a crime, because he's literally me. But, uh, anyway, I just... It makes me respect Weisel just that little extra bit, and also makes me look even forward even more forward to him getting got, because uh, I hate that he's so much more self-confident than I am. Like, seeing the preview for this episode, I thought this was when he was getting got, because, you right. know, you see the big him blowing up. But, man, they they pull the rug out from under you on that one. That yeah. was a, that's a really good move. Yep, and not to mention it's, it's nice to get a preview for when he gets got. Because, again, like, the question is not will he, it's when will he. Also, a... A thing I really liked is how fidgety Toa is when he's trying to think. Because, mm. again, he's based so much in movement that he's not used to, like, standing still in order to, to come up with a plan. He's so much more used to tactics than strategy. Mm. Where he's just thinking it out on the fly. He is thinking it as he's doing it and just kind of... As long as he's mentally three steps ahead of the game, he doesn't have to stop and plan. Where now he's like, oh no, the game is three steps ahead of me. I need to stop and think, and I don't know how. And like, honestly, like, even as my own preferred physical state, is that of a great calm mountain? Like, regular motion is great for the brain, and I encourage everyone to take part in it, because much as I resent the fact it 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 works a whole lot and i hate that so much i mean like i'm someone with some very deeply ingrained fidget impulses mm -hmm. um and you know just seeing him with his leg jittering and like messing his hair and like turning in circles that was big mood yeah no that's that's real as anything because honestly again i i a lot of a lot of people spend a lot of time making folks lock down their fidgety impulses because a fidgety kid draws attention and and they don't like that in schools. But um, it it helps. Dang it! Like I can't do like I like typing because I have something to do with my hands while I'm thinking. I if I if I don't have that, I just I always need to have something in my hands. Otherwise, I am just a total fidgety mess. Even and that's even medicated. 
Like, there's just, there's nothing that can really get rid of it. Except, well, that's going to get way too personal. Let's, um, certain medications do work better than others anyway. Um, let's move on. I'm just going to start um, babbling. I think really the, the thing that I, a thing that I really, really enjoyed is that the first thing Toa does once he's gotten everyone safely out of the cages is to turn to Melt and be like, hey, at a critical moment, I took your advice to heart, and it's kind of what saved us. Thanks, buddy. And then, like, immediately following that up in the fight, Melt is using the speed soul to assist Toa, kind of as a little show of solidarity. Yeah. Like, it's not that Toa relying on speed was bad, it's just that he can't only rely on speed, and they kind of, like, worked that out together. And I like that the, the episode wasn't them fighting over whose way of doing it was right. Like, they're both right. Both of their ways of doing things work. You just need to do both of them. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it, this is not a one or the other situation. <laughs> and, and not to mention, on top of everything, for all I was pretty okay with Tiramigo just being kind of a jerk to Melta. It's it's just nice to see Melt get some gold earned respect around here. Someone acknowledges that he's very good at what he does, and that's that's very nice. I want him to like just go off and hang with Toa and Bamba for a while and be like the Sasword to the Hopper Brothers. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just had the image in my head of of about when he was talking about how he's going to be the man who stands at the top of falling into hell. And they're just walking down the street and like, there's just these two guys on either side and just their tattered leathers and, and collars and stuff. And then he's just there with the tux and top hat. So sword was an angel. It's true. Also speaking, speaking of big, great walk sequences, that awesome walking henshin was so good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just the the low angle as they like throw their titles out and then do the spin the thing and have the the jump into the suit was so good. Yeah, like it is it is now up there in with like the no helmet henshin roll call in the final episode as a thing I want I I am going to want every series to do at some point because it was just it was really good yeah i mean like it was basically kind of half of a no helmet roll call because mm. they they do their like titles before they henshin yes so it was like it was it was a little bit of a no helmet roll call a little. not quite but like being able to pull that off before the halfway mark of the show and making it feel earned. Yeah. Like, dang, Ryu Soldier. Yeah. The the number of things that this show has, has of big moments this show has pulled, even though, like you said, we're, we aren't even at halfway. <laughs> it it should annoy me. Honestly, it's, it's a thing that we've talked about Zio having a problem with. Because Zio wants to have all the big moments but it is very bad at either earning them or putting them in a context with each other. Ryu Soldier, it, like, they fit. Every time there's a big moment, you feel that the moment is big 
and that it's been built up to, and that it matters. Yeah, and, like, Ryu Soldier makes it feel so effortless. Yeah. It is, like, it is frankly amazing that this is by, that this is someone's first time writing Sentai. Because Yamoka Junpei understands Sentai as genre. Like, no, actually, this one was by Taka Hiroya. My bad. But I think yeah. I have to say that a lot of it is probably also Kami Horoichi Kazuya's directing, because Kazuya can, di- Kazuya can direct some stuff, man. Yeah. I, uh, again, like, we get to talk about uh, Kami Horoichi Kazuya as, oh, hey, it's Koichi Sakamoto without being horny. And that's so nice. Makes me so happy. But yeah. Uh, do, were, were there any other big moments that put a smile on our faces in these? I'm sure there uh, were. I just I can't think of any. Yeah, no, I don't. I can't think of anything specific. Just these were two really good episodes of a really good show. Yeah, I just. Man, I have been hearing that apparently, like Toei's not satisfied with Re Soldiers. Uh, output, like on the at least on the toy sales level, and I've just, I hope really? I, I hope I misheard, I hope I misunderstood because what people are talking about. As far as I've, like as far as I've heard, everything's been selling really well. Oh, good, good. Then I must have misheard, because I just this is the best Sentai has been in so long. <laughs> I want it. I want it to stay. I want Sentai to just keep being this level of good for a long time. Yeah, like, I don't I don't know what ratings are like, and I don't know what Toei's projections for sales are. Yeah. But it... But, I mean, as far as I've heard, everything is, like, impossible to get because it's selling so quickly. Good. Then I'm just going to hope that I was mishearing or misunderstanding what I heard, or other people were misinterpreting stuff... You know, because I, I get all my Tokusatsu news on Twitter. That's probably stupid, but that's where all the good nerds I know hang out. And probably a lot of bad nerds that I just I don't know about and or have blocked. Because um, a thing y'all might not know about me on the Twitter, I'm a big advocate of just block everything. Why? Because do you feel like you don't want to talk to this person? Then block them. And... And the great part is, if you come at me with, hey, that's censoring, you might, your echo chamber, bloody blue, I'll block you too. <laughs> don't care. <laughs> Twitter's what I do for fun. I am viciously protective of my fun. But that is, uh, that's getting off topic. Uh, so, uh, basically just, uh, re-soldier frickin' rules. <laughs> and I love it. Um, so until then, for Laser Knees and the rest of the Toll Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And honestly, don't get kicked by a horse or a giant robot dinosaur and die. <laughs>